y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 9. And we are fine. <laughs> fine, and I can't think of another thing that rhymes. Wine. But you don't drink very much. Very much, because I get plastered off of one glass. However, <laughs> this past weekend, whew, look, y'all, neither one of us are big drinkers. We're really not. Like, give me a dessert. Yeah. Give me an appetizer. <laughs> not a drink. And this weekend, I went to a work party at one of the casinos. Whew. <laughs> so drunk. Oh, my God. Th- this is, okay, it's like a yearly cycle where I get shit-faced, and then I go, why do I drink? I'm too <laughs> old for this. And then I'm hungover for three days, and then I'm like, I'm never drinking again. And then, like, a year later, I'll be like, woohoo, whoop it up. <laughs> Same. Well, my mama, when I'd be vomiting from drinking... <laughs> She'd be standing there, and she would hand me, like, a wet rag. Oh, said the W and the R, correct? Oh. Ooh, I moved up in that. the world. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. Um, she did. <laughs> I have a chalkboard that I write it, and I say it. <laughs> Alphabet Betty helps. <laughs> Wasn't that a game? Yes, it was. It's, okay. It was like Scrabble and Candy Crush had a baby and made Alphabetty. <laughs> Um, anyway, but she would hand me the wet rag. Had to think about it that time. <laughs> Damn. Press my luck. Um, Which is also a game. Yes. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy, stop. <laughs> and we both did the stop motion. Yes. But she'd be like, was it worth it? Did you have fun? Was it worth it? And I'm like, no. Meanwhile, though, she was the same way. She could drink five sips of a drink and be seven oh, cheese to the so wind. Bad. And your sister. It's a thing oh, in your family. Oh, it's for real a thing. Meanwhile, our friend Tiffany has uh, like a stomach of steel yes. and can drink and drink and drink and be so hammered and then be fine. Go to sleep. Wake up. That girl wakes up as soon as the alcohol wears oh off. Oh my gosh. She's like, let's go get breakfast. And we're like, I no. literally just fell asleep. Yes. And the thought of food makes me want to hurl on your face. <laughs> no, thank you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But she's fine. Mm-hmm. She could drink as much as she wanted to and be a-okay. Uh-huh. Stomach of steel. I mean, she might not be able to walk, but she's she's fine. She's not going to get, she's not going to puke. Yeah. I don't even think she gets headaches. I don't think so either. But I do. Some people just live in the, walk in the light. Yes. Live in the light, walk, walk in the walk light. Walk in the light. Walk she's in the, the line. <laughs> Different movies. And that's our personality right there. <laughs> <laughs> You're cultured and I'm pop cultured. Uh, I wouldn't say cultured. Oh, the two of us. I mean, I do love me some Tom Hanks. You don't, though, right? What? Walk in the line, walk... Green Ball! Oh. What do you think I was talking about? Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh, that's... I walk the line. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> and this is our friendship. <laughs> yeah. I do love that movie. I know you do. That's why I was like, oh, I don't think so. Yeah, sorry. You know, I want to go to the prison where they had Shawshank at. Ooh, is that a thing? I think so. That was a good damn movie. Uh, yeah. That is one of the... I remember in high school, you had it. <laughs> I don't know if you had it. Like, you had it on, like, VHS, I guess? Uh, no, I think that one was DVD. It was a splurge. Oh, we were, we were fancy. You had it on DVD, and I remember us watching it, like, one rainy day <laughs> on, like, a Saturday or something. And I just did not see it coming. They, yeah. I mean, because, again, you're in high school and whatever. I like to just mindlessly watch movies. Donna likes to guess. Um... I hate when she guesses, but I also guess. Yes, that is our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember being like, I mean, that's so, like, I still, every time it's on TV, I watch it. Oh, for sure. 
Okay, so I tried to watch something last night, and I couldn't. It's called It Was Him, or something like that, I think. It came on Paramount, uh, which I think was Spike. Ink Master comes on it, so I'm pretty sure it was Spike. Because uh, I watch tattoo shows. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you have none. Yeah, needles. Can't do it. She was like 45 by the time she finally got her ears pierced. Okay, like 27. <laughs> You're not even 45 now. Okay, so it's this old cop, and he has some wild theories about who this man, I cannot think of his name now. I don't know. Anyway, but he says that he's a Zodiac killer, killed John Benet Ramsey. <gasps> yes! Okay, sorry, that was really loud. Um, yes! <laughs> and Black Dahlia. Black Dahlia. Also, uh, making a murderer, he actually killed Teresa. Yes. Why I watched it, like, I was like, <gasps> because you know I love making a murderer. And he's in an interview, and that guy's behind him. Stephen Avery's in an interview, and that guy's behind him? Yes. <gasps> and that was the preview. That got me. And I was like, I knew he didn't do it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, wait, what's this guy saying? <laughs> How is this person everywhere and, and nowhere at the same time yeah and like some of the stuff he was saying i was like Mm-mm. anyway so don't waste your time on that because unless you want to see a nut well i was gonna say it might just be good entertainment true i i didn't make it through it though when i was looking up the stuff for the murder i'm gonna do today i saw a little bit i'm not even gonna tell you exactly what it said because i don't <laughs> want to give away what i'm doing but because you're not gonna find out in five minutes but anyway but it was saying how like so and so claimed to be the killer of Jean Benet and Black Dahlia. And that's all I saw. And I was like, what? Yeah. But I didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, something I was watching last night. Well, I say watching whenever I was getting ready to go to bed because I turn on Investigation Discovery while I go to sleep. Yeah. I had it on. I just happened to turn look at the look at it whenever it was showing something. And that the show was, um, I think it was called Evil Speaks or something. Yeah, it, it's they have a all confession. Those, yeah, because there's like 17 shows with evil in them. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the one with the confessions. Yeah, that's But it. they had actual surveillance video that they were showing outside this house because apparently some guys had like broken into a house because this mastermind had told him that there was like $80,000 in cash oh in it because he wanted that guy to be killed yeah and so they broke in the house thinking it was they were going to get cash but it had them standing outside the house like getting ready to break in and one of them had on a mask that i literally went (gasps) when i saw it like i was like oh my like that mask was so scary and i was like man i think i really have issues with masks oh i for sure like i mean i knew i do because i know that like i don't like mascots and i don't like really like clowns but not like the oh i don't like clowns no i just don't like no not knowing who's behind that for sure because we are we're aware uh, we have a crime and paranormal podcast. Yes. yes. Um, and so that, I don't know, that, like, literally I was like, <gasps> when I saw it. Yes. And then, of course, I was like, okay, let me, and then I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go to bed. <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Because, hmm. it, again, it was, like, real, like, real surveillance footage yeah. from that guy's house. And um, I don't always like watching the confessions because sometimes I'm like, can you just give me the Cliff's Notes version? I don't want to hear the whole thing. Just tell me what they said. Yeah. You know, because... I'm ADHD and I need cliff notes, but it was good. <laughs> well, good. I'll have to watch it because I didn't know about that one either. Like about the live, not the live, the recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes it drags on and yes. I'm like, okay, cut this. Again, cliff notes. Yes. Well, and sometimes I'm like that. I don't like listening to 911 calls that much either. No, they get me. Well, not like triggered, but just they break my heart. Well, it depends. Are they like real 
And then it's heartbreaking and a little triggering. Like if you've ever had to call 911 about a family member being in distress, like it's triggering. Oh, for sure. Um, Because we've both had to call 911 in some pretty serious situations with our families. Yeah. And so it is is triggering for me. Um, But also I just have zero patience for bullshit. And so when it's fake, I'm like, you motherfucker. Like that is so fake. Yeah. Quit trying to play. Nobody believes you, you know? Yeah. No, I had a real life story, you know, TMI again, but this is me and you. This is how you know we don't like mascots and stuff. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> we were younger, you know, walking around the mall, because that's what you do. And it was Easter time, and the Easter bunny was doing pictures. And again, I'm loud and I'm proud, and I am that person. So, like, I waved real big to him, like, being a and jack I'm, ankle. And I'm like, Donna, fucking stop. Stop. Don't fuck with the bunny. Yeah. I don't like mascots. Don't fuck with the Easter bunny. Yeah. Well, I was like, whatever, because, you know, he has to sit there. And so what's he going to do? We're walking. Uh, No, then he gets up to follow us. And so... Not, like, out of his cage. Well, he's not actually in a cage. But not, like, he didn't come out of the, yes, like, he print. Did. did he? Yes, he did. See, I suppressed that memory. Yes. No, he followed us. And then we went into Limstone Books, which is a Christian bookstore. God was going to protect us. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was just the closest thing. Um, but, so he came to the customer service little cube thing there. Oh, yeah. And he was, like, leaning against there, kind of, like, just, like, looking in because it was glass. And he could see us. And I could see him. And we waited him out because we had nothing the fuck to do and he was getting paid. I will always wait that shit out. Yes. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But I was like, okay, I don't wave to those people now. And again, this is our friendship. Donna, don't fuck with them. Donna's (laughs) like, what do you mean I can't poke the bear? Poke, poke. Uh Uh-huh. Wait. Uh, You, I think, locked the windows so I can't roll them down to yell at people. God, Donna, sometimes... She likes to fuck with people. I do. Well, not in a mean way. I don't like. No, she's not like a bully. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't yell like mean things out the window or no. whatever. She'll just be like, hey. And I'm like, Donna. Yeah. Well, now I don't really have to do that because Marley hangs her head out the window and people stop to tell me how cute she is and stuff. And, but they'll, they'll be like, hey, beautiful. And they're not talking to me. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you, Marley. You upstage me. You know how sometimes men will take babies places to, like, <laughs> like be more attractive and, like, get women? Yeah. That's Donna with Marley. Marley is her wingman. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I was, like, hot, I would already have a husband because just go to the dog park <laughs> and they'd just flock to me. You are beautiful. Stop it. Um, I know I'm beautiful. I said hot. <laughs> okay. I'm loud and proud. I'm not a meek person. I just squeak a lot. (laughs) That's what she said. I'm so excited about my story this week. wait. Sorry. I always am like moving right into the stories and you're like, no, I have one more thing. Okay. I have to talk about Let's Not Meet Again because I had listened to like the last three episodes um, because I knew about it from Ghost in the Burbs. So I just went over there to hear Liz because her voice is so soothing. Yeah. And so, I mean, I didn't really know what it, it was about. Well, then I was like, dang, those are scary. But I had just listened to the recent ones. And I went back today and I listened to the first ones. Whew, those got me. Well, you told me about it. And when I got here tonight, I was like, oh, yeah. And I subscribed. So, yeah, I told her, don't listen on the way home because the first one is called Windows and that is my biggest fear, like having windows open and someone looking in. Yes. 
and it was like three stories all about that. And I'm like, that really happens? Like, you know, because you see yeah. it in the movie and you're like, but really? Yeah, because these are true stories that people have told on Reddit, right? Yes. Okay. On, and under he- the Let's Not Meet. Okay. But y'all, seriously, it is so good. I got out of my car one time and it was one about someone whistling and I legit thought I heard it and I was like... <gasps> Looking around. Yeah. And I was like, Donna, just get the fuck inside and lock your door. (laughs) And this was during the day. Dang. Do you think it'll scare me that much, though, because I go to sleep watching ID? Or do you think I'll be like, oh, fuck? I don't know. Okay. I'm listening to it this week. Listen to it on the way home and you tell me if you're scared. Okay. Because I legit was. My story this week kind of deals with the Windows situation a little bit and, like, what scares me about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that movie, The Strangers, did is that you ever the one with that? Liv Tyler? Yes. Yeah. That got me too. But it's been so long since I watched it, I don't really remember details about it though. Because, well, at the end, they're like. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, you can say it. We said spoiler alert. They can fast forward. <laughs> yeah. Skip, skip, skip. I mean, this is an old movie. Yeah. But they're like, why did you do this to us? And they're like, because you answered the door. <gasps> yes. And I'm like, <gasps> I answered the door. <laughs> Well, one, you can hear me walking in this old house and be like, Fred of Flintstone feet. (laughs) And I have to wear glasses and I'm blind at night. So I'd be like opening the curtain real wide and then Marley putting her head through there because she's nosy. (laughs) Like we'd be done for. Or you'd think it was like the raccoon that she freaks out over. And you'd be like, oh, that's nothing. Let me look and see about the raccoon. And it's like, oh, no, there's someone standing there. Yes. (gasps) That'd be so scary. Um, let's not talk about it. It's nighttime and you have to leave. Okay, now you can tell your story. I don't know if you're ready for it. Oh, sorry. You can't see my eyes, but they're like wide. Picture it. I look stunned. <laughs> okay. I am doing Edward Kemper the <gasps> What? I know. Oh, my God. Which is why... Whenever I said, because, okay, when we were talking about the, what show did you just tell me about? Ed Edwards. Yeah, it was Ed Edwards, the show from, what, what was the name of the show? Oh, it was him. Yeah, it was, because I looked it up because she couldn't remember his name, and it was, oh, that's why he was coming up when I was looking up Ed Kemper. Oh, my God. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't tell you that. You have to wait. Yes. Oh, if you have not watched Mindhunter, oh my God. go watch it. The guy that plays, oh God, I just looked at his name today. The guy that plays Ed Kemper in that show. He looks just like him. First of all, looks just fucking like him. Mm-hmm. And second of all, his demeanor oh is like spot on. Like that that actor did some serious studying Dang. to get that, like the quotes and stuff that I even have of yeah. some of Ed Kemper, like, because he does all these interviews with different magazines. And, yeah. I mean, and it's like, I mean, spot fucking on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I am so freaking excited. So Edward Emil Kemper III, he was born in Burbank, California on December 18th, 1948. He was the middle of three kids, but he was the only son. And his dad was a World War II veteran um, that, like, tested nuclear weapons and stuff. Yeah, really? his dad was pretty badass. But then he, when he came back from the war, he worked as an electrician. So his mom, Claire Nell, is her name. She was a bitch. Mm. His dad was fine. His mom 
What's Mommy Dearest? Royal bitch Mommy Dearest is so bad. Claire Nell was not only awful to Ed Kemper, but to his dad. She would talk about how, like, basically that the dad was a piece of shit because he just had, like, a menial job as an electrician. Like, would just, like, belittle him as to, like, his profession and stuff. And... His dad, there's a quote from his dad saying that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testing were nothing compared to living with her. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. And then he also said his wife, Ed Kemper's mom, affected him more as a grown man than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front. Wow. Yes. She fucked him up. Royally. So just to kind of give you an idea of how terrible she was to a child. Yeah. As to how bad she was to a grown man who's completed suicide missions in World War II. Yeah. You know, so Ed Kemper was, well, we know he was huge, right? He was um, like... I think he was like six nine. Yeah, like two hundred fifty seven feet. Yeah, he was like six nine. Like some stuff says like two hundred fifty pounds. Some stuff says two seventy five. He wasn't. He's as, the guy that played the character in Mindhunter was as tall as him, but heavier than oh, okay. um, Ed Kemper in real life. So he was a little bit thinner when he was born. He weighed thirteen pounds. Holy fuck! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, that's why his mama was a bitch. She was like, "What is <laughs> what's that saying from your kids' free group?" <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay, y'all. I'm in a kids-free group because, you know, I don't have kids on um, one of the podcasts I listen to. And someone said, uh, a kid's a vagina fruit? Like, I don't want to have to pass a vagina fruit. Is that mean to say that? No, that's fucking hilarious. I mean, I thought it was funny. And so then I had to tell Carrie. I laughed so hard when you said that they called it vagina fruit. Oh, my god! Because, well, because, like, the saying is that it's like passing a watermelon through a lemon. Yeah. You know? And so... Just when they called it, I don't know, that just creates a visual. Yes. And it's fucking funny. And so when you think about this 13-pound baby, she was like, oh this gosh. motherfucker yeah. is huge. And You know it, how uh, moms will be like, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. She took that literal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, meanwhile, though, too, it was 1948. So it's not like. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, epidurals. Pretty sure they didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I watched Called the Midwife on <laughs> Netflix. They had just started doing, like, gas and stuff in the oh 50s, gosh. you know? Okay. Ed was not only, like, huge compared to his peers, just super tall and stuff. Yeah. He was... And so his mom was mean to him about that. And so it would be like, say mean things to him, like, you look just like your dad. No one will ever love you. Like, Oh, uh, well, you love my dad. I like, was going to say, uh, you married him and you had three kids. So right. you apparently liked something. Well, I mean, they might have done it through the sheets like uh, her yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> she might have been fertile myrtle, too. Yeah. Growing up, Ed, we're going to call him Ed from here on out. Okay. He was really intelligent, and which we we know that about him now, too. But so I don't know if you would say he was bored. I don't know. But he was starting to have the signs of a sociopath as a kid, yeah. which means he killed animals. Um, oh, God. I know. I know. This is bad, too. <gasps> Sorry. This is not about Ed. We're going to table him for a second. Tangent time. <laughs> you know, my favorite. That's what, um, that's my hobby is tangent time. Is that a hobby? (laughs) It can be. It's my specialty. It's my skill. (laughs) Someone on Facebook, and you, so you know it's true. Um, (laughs) like they posted screenshots or whatever, and it's this person that's in a group that they go on Craigslist and pit bulls that are for sale, like free to 
good homes and stuff, they go get them and kill them. <gasps> so they're like, so they can't harm anyone and shit. And it's like a whole group of them. But they were saying like, like I didn't get there fast enough to get this one, but like something <gasps> like that. I'll have to look it up and put it on the Facebook group because I was like, please tell me this is fake. But I've seen it several different times. So I don't know if it's, I, I need to do Snopes or whatever that is. Yeah. Of it because that breaks my heart, but it doesn't surprise me that there's groups out there, yeah, that are like that. But breaks my heart. Yeah, that's bad. Oh gosh, like that's just hateful. You're not doing you're not doing a service. You're doing a disservice. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Oh. Mm-mm. So sorry. It just gets us in the mindset for Ed. Yeah, we already hate him. <laughs> Shit. But I kind of love him too. Because it's because of the character on Mindhunter yes, that you love him. Yes. Okay, you're not gonna love him after this. When Ed was ten, they had a pet cat and he buried it alive. <gasps> Holy fuck. Once it died, he dug it up. Ew. Decapitated it. What? And mounted its head on a spike. Holy fuck. Ed. Mm-hmm. We gotta have a talk, buddy. Okay. When he was thirteen, they had another family cat. And, um... Wait, so his parents didn't find it? I don't guess. Or they were like... Like, I I did read one thing that said, like... Actually, it's right here on my notes. Oh, Lord. It said that he... That he got pleasure of the fact that he could lie to his family about, like, what happened to the cat. And that that he actually killed it and they didn't know. So, I guess not. So, I guess they didn't ever really know it was him. But, so, did he take the head off the stake or is that how they... I mean, I don't don't think he, like, paraded down the neighborhood with it. (laughs) I don't know what he did with it. Oh, I pictured it, like, in the yard. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. Garden of the Month. And it's like, (laughs) but it's a cat. (laughs) Again, you're a serial killer. (laughs) Okay. When he was 13, they got another family cat. And he thought that the cat liked his younger sister better. And so, he killed the cat kept pieces of the cat in his closet until his mom found him. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Yep. He would take his sister's dolls and would like do like death rituals with them where he would like take their heads off and their hands. And then one time his older sister was teasing him and being like, why won't you kiss your teacher? And he was like, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Whoa. Yes. And he was young. Yeah. And then when he was in second grade, he would sneak out of the house and um, take his dad's bayonet and just go, like, stand outside of his second grade teacher's house and just, like, watch her through the windows. What a... Meanwhile, windows. I'm telling you. And then his favorite game to play with his sisters, um, there were two of them. It was called Gas Chamber and Electric Chair. (laughs) Those sound fun. Not your typical hide and seek. No. Red Rover, Red Rover, put me in the gas chamber. (laughs) So he said that, like, so he would get his sisters to tie him up, and then his sisters would flip an imaginary switch, and then he would, like, go lay on the floor and, like, convulse (laughs) like he was, like, getting shocked or, like, he was dying from the gas. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's just stupid. He liked to play like he was dying, like of torture. Yeah, but it's no torture. Well, I I cannot get into the head of (laughs) 10-year-old Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, he could do that himself. No, he wanted his sisters to be the the person that flipped the switch. I know, but that's And they had to tie him up. But that, well, BTK tied himself up. (laughs) 
BTK was like 20 years later. He had time to figure shit out. Right. Well, he was a Boy Scout. Well, and this guy was a boy. So. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's weird, but I thought it was like going to be like put a bag over his head. No. Or something that like really does it. He's just laying on the floor being like doing the worm. (laughs) Like, boy, take it up a notch then if you want to freak me out. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Like, kebab a cat again. Then I'll be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know what to say to you right now. Right, meow? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my... (laughs) I think this podcast is making me... (laughs) It's bringing it out. Oh, my God, the serial killer on the inside of you is like, yes, I can come out now. I'm going to write a book, The Killer Inside Me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Y'all could all write me in jail because you know I love pen pal. <laughs> I don't think they allow inmate to inmate contact, so you'll have to stop talking to Danny. Oh, fuck. So you're going to cancel the whole serial killer thing so you can keep talking to him? Yeah. He's my boo. <laughs> Shit. So, okay, the next part I'm going to tell you, I think that his sisters were not as fucked up as him, but I think that they were pretty fucked up, too. Because, one, they played the gas chamber games with him. One time, his older sister tried to push him in front of a train. Okay. Uh, She is a sociopath, too. She watched Fried Green Tomatoes, and she was like, (laughs) come on, buddy, thread good. Or throw mama from the train. Oh, true. Um, And then the same sister... Pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool, and he almost drowned. So, I really think that the sister was, I mean, obviously not. Yeah, not to the degree that he is, but she had some underlying issues, too. Clearly, there's a lot of mental illness in this family. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Right? So, he and his dad were pretty close, um, but his parents ended up separating in 1957, and so he was staying with just, like, his mom and his sisters. Ooh. And again, his mom was... An alcoholic, and she was really neurotic about things and, like, belittle him and just do everything that she could to humiliate him and, like, verbally abused him. I don't know if she physically abused him. Kinda. But I don't know if she, like, hit him. Because he was so big, like, he was 6'4 by the time he was 15. Wow. Um, She would say that she was scared that he would harm his sisters, and, like, she was scared that he would rape his sisters, and so she would lock him in, a like, a, the dark basement Yeah, at night. Just, like, lock him in there, because she's like, I don't know what you're gonna do to your sisters, so yeah. you stay in the basement. I think you said that on Mindhunter. Yeah. She would, like, tell him all the time, she would call him, she would be like, you're a real weirdo. And, like, would talk about that. Like, I'm the product of you. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't, like, comfort him. Like, a lot of things say coddle him. But I think just even just be kind to him. Yeah. Because she was scared that he would, quote, turn gay. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, because that says it right there. Like, yes. To be a nice human to somebody is going to turn them gay. That's not a thing. No. You're born that way. Anyway. And I know I said this earlier, but, like, she would tell him that he reminded her of his father and that, like, no one would ever love him. Stuff kind of looking, like, looking back says that they think that she was probably, um, she probably had borderline personality disorder. But, again, so, again, just a lot of mental health issues in this family that it's 1948 was when he was born. So, none of that's getting addressed. Yeah. 
So when he was 15, he ran away from his mom, because she's awful, to go live with his dad in Los Angeles. And when he got there, his dad had already remarried and actually had a stepson that was about his age. Dang. Um, And so he was like, okay, well, he's clearly replaced me. Yeah. And so he only stayed with his dad for just a little while, and his dad was like, I can't handle you. (laughs) So there were a couple of different reports. Like, one thing said that when he left his dad, he went straight to his grandparents' house, his paternal grandparents. And then another thing said that he went back to his mom and then went to his paternal grandparents' house. But either way, he ended up at, yeah. and their names were Maude and Edmund Kemper. Um, because he was a senior junior. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how that works. That's how that works. I got that. <laughs> okay, so they lived in the mountains, and Ed hated living with them. Like, he was like, my grandfather, he was, said he was senile. Um, <laughs> And then he said his grandmother was, like, always, his quote is that she was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather. And so it was, like, all that anger and resentment and torture that his mom had put on him yeah. all those years, he it's like he transferred it to his grandma. So in August, on August 27th of 1964, his grandmother was sitting at the kitchen table, and she and Ed had just gotten into an argument. So he was, of course, mad, stormed off, went and got his grandfather's 22 caliber rifle, came back into the kitchen where his grandmother was, and she was like, turned and looked at him, saw he had the gun, and um, she was like, don't go kill any birds. And so he was like, okay, and shot her in the head. Wow. And then shot her twice in the back. So killed her. I know. Overkill a little bit. Right. And then some stuff says that after he shot her that he stabbed her post-mortem, but it's not very clear if that was actually the case. So he dragged her body out of the kitchen into the bedroom, and then when his grandfather came home, like, he saw him walking down the driveway, like, with his groceries and stuff, and he said that he was like, oh, I don't do, I don't want him to see her dead, and so he shot and killed his grandpa in the driveway. Mm. So then he kind of starts panicking because he's like 15, you know. And so he called his mom and was like, uh, what do I do? And she was like, call the police. So he called the police and he just sat there and waited on them to get there. So they arrested him. And when they were like, what the hell happened? He was like, his quote was that he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. And that, again, he didn't want the grandfather to find out his wife was dead. And so that's why he killed him too. Yeah. And again, a lot of stuff was talking about how him killing his grandma was essentially him taking all that rage from his mom and putting it on his grandma. Because even though they weren't really similar, he, they still had some of the same yeah. like, discourse in their relationship. He was committed to a psychiatric hospital for killing his grandparents. When they were kind of deciding what to do with him before they sent him to the psychiatric hospital, they said, he's paranoid schizophrenic. We have to send, like, he's criminally insane. So they send him to a state hospital. When he got there, the psychiatrists and social workers were like, hmm, He's not a paranoid schizophrenic because he didn't have any flights of ideas. He didn't have any delusions, hallucinations, all those like kind of yeah. gold standard for a paranoid schizophrenic diagnosis. Yeah. And so they did an IQ test on him. And the first time they tested him, he had a 136 IQ. Dang. Yeah. Then they re-diagnosed him then, calling it a personality trait disturbance, passive-aggressive type. And then they did another IQ test on him later. I don't know why they did multiple IQ tests, but the last IQ test they did, it was at 145. Holy fuck. Yeah. So, he. I mean, I mean, you know, I said as a kid, he was really, I mean, he just was really intelligent. Yeah. Don't you hate that when someone so smart uses it for evil? I know. Well, even if you think about, like, inmates in a prison, it's like, the, just the ingenuity. It's like yes. if you can harness that and turn it into like inventions or something positive. Yes. Because they come up with some amazing. <laughs> yes. I mean, just even even the the positive things that they do for themselves, like cooking meals or, mm-hmm. you know, 
those types of things. It's not always negative, like how to make a shank and hide it. You know, right. it can be stuff like that. And it's like, damn, that is smart. Yeah. I mean, using your resources and I don't know. So yeah. it's like if you could just harness that. And same with him. It's like if you could harness that intelligence and cut out all the other stuff. Yeah. You know, like the serial killer part. <laughs> so when he was in the state hospital, he, of course, was a model prisoner. And he really, really had the psychiatrists and stuff fooled. Yeah. I mean, to be whatever. Which got him off. Yes. So they trusted him so much that they trained him to administer psychiatric testing to other inmates. Holy shit. Yes. And so that's... That's actually where he kind of honed some of his ideas. So Ed Kemper says that he was a part of creating some new tests, like a new scales for some standardized assessments. But I don't really know how factual that is. But when he was later arrested for the as the serial killer, he said that the psychiatric tests that he would administer in the hospital were to sex offenders. And so he said that, like, he actually learned a lot from them. And how they would always tell him, like, always to kill a woman after you rape them so there's no witnesses and stuff. And so it played a part into why he did the things that he did. Yeah. So at his 21st birthday, he was released on parole from the state hospital. Well, that's a good birthday present. (laughs) Right. Here's parole and you can drink now. Yeah. So even though the psychiatrist and everybody at the hospital was like, he cannot go back into the care of his mom. Yeah. That's where he went. Oh, Lord. She had remarried at the time. But then got divorced again not long after that. Oh, we know why. Right. (laughs) So he had, like, everybody so fooled. Because, okay, when when he was 21, it was 1969. By November of 1972, they permanently expunged his record. Wow. Um, Because... Like, so this is the quote from his probation um, psychiatrist. If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who has initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illness. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be any danger to himself or any other member of society. And since it may allow him to more freedom as as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expun- ex- whatever, expunge his record. <laughs> whatever that word is that I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Expunction, whatever, of his juvenile record. Like, he's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. That's how, like, that's yeah. so clear. Well, and they say that, too, like, there was another quote, too, of um, them saying that, like, he wasn't a traditional, like, a yeah, traditional sociopath because he really took pride in his work. And I feel like not all sociopaths are serial killers. Like, right. And, like, I remember reading somewhere something, and it was saying that actually a lot of, like, CEOs and people who are really successful are mm-hmm. actually sociopaths because they are able to, like, make cutthroat decisions. because they don't say, do yeah. the hard stuff. Yeah, because they don't have that empathy. And then they're able also, though, to fake, kind of emulate mm-hmm. the facial expressions and all that for, like, the kind of everyday stuff. Yeah. But then they're able to be like, fuck you, because they don't have the empathy. You know what I mean? Yeah, flip that switch. Right. And so, I've, I, and again, times have changed. We understand a lot more now yeah. about mental illness and all of that. And I mean, I don't even think in the current DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Psychiatric Conditions, like whatever that passive-aggressive thing type, I don't even think that's in the DSM anymore, you know? Yeah. And so it's like the diagnosis he was given doesn't even exist anymore because it's not, we know more about it now. Yeah. And so I think that had this happened 
now and not 1965 or 55 or whenever it was, it would be a very different story. Yeah. So he went to live with his mother while he was like on the parole part. But like I said, again, they later like expunged his record and he wasn't on parole. But part of his parole was that he had to go to community college and he really wanted to to be a police officer. But actually he was rejected being a police officer because of his size. Like there were size requirements. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And because um, at that time, that's when he was six nine. He, you know, he'd finished growing. Yeah. He was six nine again, like two hundred fifty pounds. But he was really good friends with all the local police officers, and they all went to a bar called the Jury Room. And so he was like really good friends with them. And he even described it was himself as a friendly nuisance to them. You know, like yeah. they were just all friends. They called him Big Ed. Everybody's chummy, right? Mm-hmm. He even had a few little jobs here and there with the State of California Highway Department. So, again, he was living with his mom, still in that, like, toxic environment. They would fight all the time, like, mm. yell, scream, and, like, eat, like the neighbors could hear him yelling and screaming. Wow. Mm-hmm. An interview where he's, like, looking back on that time mm-hmm. when he's living with his mom, he said, My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fists if it were a man, but it was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof raiser was whether... (laughs) Well, he didn't have trouble with his (laughs) arms. He said, I remember one roof raiser over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. Like, just like, so these huge battles about nothing, you know? Well, hygiene is important. I mean, (laughs) of course, go get your teeth cleaned. (laughs) I mean, maybe she wanted him to go at like four months. He was like, no, mom, it hasn't been six months yet. (laughs) Insurance won't cover this. I mean, it's like $200, mom. I don't have money. That's why I'm living with you. So he would kind of throughout his life, he would like save up enough money living with his mom to where he could move out. And then he would go broke again and have to move back in with her. I just picture him having like a piggy bank and like, (laughs) one day I'll get out. (laughs) Then having to like empty it and like shake the change out. Yeah. Count it. I mean, not that I've had to do that or anything, right? (laughs) No, you're the person that when you were like in high school, you'd be like, I'm going to clean my room. And you'd like get distracted and like read a book and be like, oh, here's $60 I hid in a book. That's you. My grandma was like that though. Like, um, when we're, cause we're cleaning her house out Yeah, and we open every card and every, like, every piece of paper, because God only knows <laughs> where there's money stashed. Yeah. So when he did get enough money that first time to move back out, um, he moved in with a friend. But it was like he couldn't get away from his mom. She would still just, like, call him all the time, randomly show up at his house just for surprise visit. Gosh. Um But then, of course, he ran out of money and had to move back in with her. I mean, being an adult, Ed. Well, and, but he was working job. I don't know why he was so broke. Um, Dave Ramsey wasn't around. He didn't know. (laughs) The envelope system, Ed, get it together. Around that time, though, he, so keep in mind, he's like at least 21 because that's when he got out of the state hospital. He started dating a 16-year-old high school student. Wow. Yeah. And they later got engaged, but I never really found like what happened to her or why they broke up. I don't, I don't, that wasn't very clear when I was looking this up, but about that time he had him a little motorcycle. (laughs) Vroom, vroom. Mm -hmm. And one day when he was out on his motorcycle, a car hit him. He didn't get a head injury. I don't think. (laughs) <laughs> um, but he did hurt his arm. And so he got a $15,000 settlement from like a civil suit out of it. Yeah. And so with that money, he got himself a little car. And then when he would 
be out driving around, he started, like, noticing, like, damn, there's all these women out hitchhiking. Hmm. <laughs> He's like... Uh, Templeton, Sh- smorgasbord, smorgasbord. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say that. Templeton from uh, Charlotte's Web. Yep. And so again, he, movies. <laughs> yes. And so he started like stockpiling stuff in his car, like <laughs> always plas- be prepared. He's like a Boy Scout, like plastic bags, knives, blankets, handcuffs. You know, things one might need <laughs> in their car. So at that time, he, like he had his little stash of whatever. You want to call it his little murder kit. That's what we'll call it. And so he started picking up girls who were hitchhiking, but he would just let them go. And he says, and I mean, again, you don't know how how exaggerated he is, but he said yeah. that he picked up around 150 hitchhikers that he would just like let go. Like he would take them where they were needed to go and let them go. But then he started feeling like homicidal sexual urges that he called little zapples. So that's kind of when he started acting on them. Mm. On May 7th of 1972, Ed Kemper was driving around in Berkeley in his little Ford Galaxy that he had bought (laughs) from his motorcycle accident when he picked up two 18-year-old girls who were hitchhiking and under the pretense that he was going to take them to Stanford University. And their names were Marianne Pesci and Anita Mary Lucessa. So remember, he worked for the highway department, which is, I think now it's called like the California transportation department or something like that so he was really familiar with all the roads and and all of that and so he was able to kind of take a detour to stanford university that led him to like a secluded wooded area without the girls realizing Ooh, tricky tricky sneaky little bastard (laughs) so also if you remember from before whenever i said that he was at the state hospital that he was part of the interviewing and doing the tests on sex offenders yeah okay and he said that he learned a lot from them because he learned oh don't leave a witness if you rape somebody right yes well then he put his murder learning into practice it's like he had a handbook that had rapist on it, and like in red marker, he X'd it out and put murder. He took all his learning. He made some note cards. He <laughs> took them and made them into a book. Book chapter one, rape. <laughs> X that, like you said, red rum. <laughs> or red room. As you say. Yes. It's okay. Well, if he was Christian Grey and into BDSM, maybe he did have a red room. True. True. He had the two girls, and he was going off to this little secluded area. I didn't really find how he, like, gained control of the girls at that point, but he was able to handcuff them together and put them in the trunk, and then he stabbed and strangled both of them to death. Wow. Mm-hmm. One thing I found interesting, because, again, you know, he does all these interviews, so there's all these quotes yeah. from him about all of these different murders and his mom and all of that, but one thing he said about when he was handcuffing Marianne Pesci is that he accidentally brushed her breast with his hand and was like, oops, I'm sorry. Wow. I know. And I just feel like that speaks to his insecurities with mm-hmm. women. And I mean, just how terrible his mom was to him and made him so insecure like yeah. about his size and about him being weird and basically ugly and nobody would ever love him. And so yeah. he just he had so little confidence with women that that's part of why he did what he did. Yeah. It was the only quote unquote relationship that he could have. Right. I know that we talked about before he had that 16-year-old girlfriend when he was like 22, but there wasn't really a whole lot on that. So after he stabbed and strangled them, he took their bodies and put them back in the trunk and went home to his apartment. Oh, home sweet home. I mean, you know, just taking his day home for <laughs> nightcap. Um, on his way back, though, he was actually stopped by a police officer because his taillight was broken. Oh my God, my ass would be clenched. Could you imagine the sheer panic? He's no. Or... 
Or does he not feel that because he's a sociopath? Right. He might have gotten aroused from that. <gasps> Maybe. And I'll tell you how he got that taken care of. Oh, fuck. Foreshadowing the foreskin. Okay. But, of course, no police officer is going to be like, uh, sir, I'm going to need you to pop the trunk. Just because he's got a broken taillight. You yeah. Know? And so, although, tangent. Have you ever heard that, like, recommendation of if you get abducted and somebody mm-hmm. puts you in their trunk to break the taillight because you can wave your hand out? Yeah. I was thinking that, but obviously they couldn't wave their hand out because you yeah. had already killed them. But, yeah. But just a tip. I'm mm-hmm. sure all the people listening know that. If they're into yeah. true crime, they've probably read all that kind of stuff before. But if you're ever in a situation where you're locked in a trunk and you can't find the release thing, <laughs> break the taillight and wave your hand out. Yes. When he got home, his roommate wasn't there. And so he took the bodies into the apartment and stripped them down. Well, I don't know if they had their clothes on, but he <laughs> they didn't have clothes on after that. And he took pornographic photos of them. He's a photographer. I mean, everybody needs a side hustle. So after he took... All the pictures of them, he had sex with the corpses. Oh, Ed, Eddie, Ed, no. After he did all that, he dismembered the bodies. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, that was messy. And then put their all their body parts in different bags and then, like, took them to dump them. Mm, that's what Jeffrey Dahmer would call meal prepping. That's his appetizer and dessert. <laughs> Not much of a drinker, much like us. Right. Or he might... Drank the blood. Mm-hmm. Ew. It's his version of red wine. <laughs> he did, however, like when he dismembered them, he did like decapitate their heads and kept those for a minute. And oh, cut. Oh, I know. And then uh, engaged in irrimatio with them. You know, did, did you know what that was? I had um, to Google it. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I'm thinking it's something sexual. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, well, uh, yeah. When I, with their heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I read it, I was like, okay, I know it's sexual. And so I was like, fellatio? Maybe yeah. that's how you say it, yeah. you know? But, so I totally Googled it and it is um, basically forceful sex with a mouth. Okay. So it can be with, in his case, a severed head. Right. Um, but it can also be like a BDSM practice. Okay. Of, like, a sexual, you know, yeah, whatever you're Yeah, I didn't know that had a name. Basically, it's fucking somebody's mouth. Yeah. But not, like, oral sex. Like, that's what I thought it was called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking somebody's mouth? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Well, there's an actual word. But it's more like, I guess, the receiver is having... Like, the person whose mouth is being used mm-hmm. is not, like, in control at all. Like... Yeah. Versus, like, whereas with oral sex... Yeah. You know, we know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, he had sex with her heads. I wonder if he, like, taped their eyes open. Ooh, I don't know. Gah. (laughs) Ask him. He's still alive. (laughs) Oh, my God. He would answer your letter, He'd probably be like, you're a freak. Or he'd be like, damn, bitch, that was a good idea. (laughs) Lean a little closer and let me. You got a big head, girl. (laughs) (laughs) That girl's got the bug eyes. I like her. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to hell. Oh, my God. I had big enough ears, too, if he wanted to use that. Oh, God. Just, hey, more. A hole is a uh, hole if you're in jail. Okay, well, I was <laughs> I was thinking that. And then popped in my head more cushion for the pushing. And then I was like, well, that doesn't make sense with an ear. Well, I do have a detached lobe. <laughs> he can uh, tickle his fancy with those. <laughs> <laughs> and when I laugh, my nostrils get kind of big. I mean, look, you are just full of holes. <laughs> They ended up finding Pesci's skull later because he, oh, sorry, he dumped those, the skulls in a ravine. And so they ended up finding her skull, but they couldn't find any of the other remains. 
Mm. So a few months later, um, September 14th of 1972, he picked up a 15-year-old girl. <gasps> I know. No. Her name is Aiko Koo. So she was a Korean dancer and, or well, she's a student, but she was a dance student. Wee vey. Um, <laughs> and she was, she was hitchhiking to, to dance because she missed her bus. Gosh, that's one of those instances if she would have just made her bus. I know. So he, much like with the first murders, he drove her off to a remote area and because he had a gun. Get this. He accidentally, when he got to that secluded area, Mm -hmm. locked himself out of his car. (laughs) If that's not a carry move, I don't know what is. Um, So he, yeah, locked himself out of his car, but he had like, I don't know, like brainwash. I don't even know what you, not brainwash because it was like two seconds, but he was like smooth talking enough that she let him back in the car. What? Uh Uh-huh. So like somehow while holding her at gunpoint, he had gained enough trust or fear. I don't know. Or she's young and doesn't understand. You know, I don't know because I mean, God. Just drive away. (laughs) You're in the car. He's not, you know. Yeah. Well, why did he get out? I think he was, like, getting out to, like, go around and, like, pull her out to rape her and stuff. I'm not victim blaming by saying she should have driven off. I mean, because God only knows what I would do in that moment. I'd probably let him back in, too. But it's like, God, if she just could have. Yeah. Could have done something differently, she might not have died. (laughs) You're thinking that way. And I'm like, why didn't he just, like. Break the window? Well, that or. Not go out and pull her, just like pull her through the driver's side when you're getting out. I don't know. Like you're going to mess her up anyway. Maybe he was going to keep her head and he didn't want to pull her hair out. True. (laughs) That was a Donna comment. I know. You're becoming me. and I don't like it. (laughs) The the student is now the master. After he got back into the car, or well, she led him back in the car, he choked her until she was unconscious, raped her, and then killed her. Wow. So after he killed her, he put her body into the trunk and then, get this, God, this is so awful, went to a nearby bar, had a couple of drinks, oh and then, gosh. like, went back out to his car, popped his trunk. One of the, like, quotes from one of the articles I read said he was, like, admiring his catch like he was a fisherman. Wow. Yeah. And then, so then he went back to his apartment. There, of course, there, of course, as with before, he had sex with her body mm-hmm. before and then he dismembered and disposed of her remains did he photograph her it doesn't say he probably didn't want to have child pornography i mean everyone <laughs> has some sort of standards right? there's a line no matter who you are and he's not crossing that line <laughs> meanwhile how did he develop that film because you know it was like and well, then like you you know he's wind 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 you know <laughs> He's smart enough, to, though, that he had, like, a black room, probably. And well, that's a dark room, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said he's smart, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing said, like, what was your question? <laughs> oh, did he take pictures of her? God, that whole spiel. Um, nothing that I saw said that he took pictures, but why would he have not taken yeah. pictures of her? Okay, but, I do need to write him, because I need clarification on this. Yeah, I bet... He would write you back. I do might, it. I might I'm just kidding, girl. <laughs> no, you would not. Oh, my God. Um, I couldn't do it. I'd have to, like, drive, like, five hours away to mail it. Oh, my God, right? I'm going to put an ad in the paper and say, if I email you by floppy, will you be able to trace it? <laughs> and they'll say, Rex, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, That's BTK if you didn't know. BTW, that's BTK. Right. I don't know if I already said this, but 
He dismembered her and disposed of her remains just like he did the previous two victims. Mm -hmm. And, like, of course, she's 15 and was on her way to dance class. So her mom's like, um, she's missing. And so put hundreds of flyers out. Gosh, blessed. But never got any information in return. So a few months after that, we're flashing forward to January 7th of 1973. He had to move back in with his mom. Oh, Lord. So apparently it wasn't working out with the roomie. (laughs) probably because he ran out of money because that was kind of his thing. Like he would get enough money to move out and get away from his mom. Mm -hmm. And then he would run out of money and he'd have to move back. And then, you know, it was just this kind of like back and forth vicious cycle. So January 7th, 1973, he was driving around and he picked up an 18 year old college student. Her name was Cynthia Ann Shaw or Cindy was what she went by. He again, just like with the rest, drove off to that, like a sequestered, secluded, wooded area. Yeah. And, he actually shot her with a twenty two caliber pistol. Mm. So that was a little bit different that he, you know, before he was strangling them and stabbing them. And this yeah. one, he shot. Well, that's the same type that he shot his grandmother and yes. grandfather with. I wonder if it's the same one. Oh, Probably not. Why would they let him still have that? Right. So probably not. But maybe it was the gun he fancied. Yeah. Maybe he was a twenty two caliber enthusiast. <laughs> so he put the body in his trunk. That was like his thing to do, I guess. When in doubt, put the body in the trunk. <laughs> that was chapter three. <laughs> he drove, so he went back to his mom's house this time because, you know, he's living back with her. Mm-hmm. And he kept the body in his closet overnight because his mom was home. What's he going to do? He's got a skeleton in his closet. Quite literally. <laughs> so when his mom left for work the next morning. I can just picture him like laying in bed and then he hears the door shut and he's like, yes. Yes. You know, like, he's like fully clothed underneath the covers, you know? Yeah, and he's like, like Bruce Almighty's the cover cover back. (laughs) And then Bruce Almighty's his clothes because then he pulls her out of the closet and has sex with her body. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Well, he had morning wood, so. (laughs) (laughs) And a little morning glory, huh? (laughs) So after he had sex with her corpse, he removed the bullet from her body. So after he. Took the bullet out. He took the corpse into his mom's bathtub, and that's where he dismembered and decapitated it. Wow. I know. As before, he kept the severed head for, like, multiple days and consistently, like, regularly engaged in irrimatio with the head. So what if he was driving while forcing, you know, like, he's riding with her head Mm -hmm. on his, hmm. That's what you bleep out? (laughs) (laughs) everyone has their line true 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 we learned that from ed no child porn Uh, well i mean yeah i mean this is a horrible question anyway so i'm just trying to you know the answer is roadhead yes but this would be different right i think so road (laughs) irimatio irimatio oh my god that's terrible that's like a dad joke gone (laughs) way wrong because they're in motion. I get it. No, you don't have to explain it. I get it. That was terrible. Also, if he keeps it a long time, I mean, wouldn't it be like, I feel like the mouth would just be permanently in a position. I don't know. I guess. And again, too, so dirty. And like, but dirty, I mean, like bacteria. I mean, it's dirty yeah. as in nasty, but dirty as in bacteria. Yes. How he doesn't. 
why didn't he get a disease? See, that would be my fucking luck. <laughs> I would go do something nasty like that, and I would get, like, the most obscure disease on yes. the planet. And then I'd have to go to the doctor, and they'd be like, did you just fuck a corpse? Oh, my God. I just pictured that, too. Yeah, like how they always have those weird Yes. Things. They were like, have you been to Indonesia lately? No, then you fucked a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. um, No, just the head. <laughs> just the tip. I swear to God, I was just about to say that. And I pulled out. God. I mean, no one's getting pregnant here. Okay. God, I, we, we're terrible. We I'm really sorry. do have sympathy for these victims. Yes. We're making fun of Ed, not the victims. Yeah, totally. So after he kept her body for a little while, he took all of the remains except for her head and he like threw them off a cliff. Yeah. And then he took her head and buried it in, in her- his crotch. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's been doing. Damn. Damn, damn, damn. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Damn. No, he buried her head in his mom's yard. Oh my God. (laughs) Too much. Too much. In her garden slash yard with her bushes. Um, (laughs) But he like had the face turned to where it looked up to his mom's room (gasps) because he said that his mom always wanted people looking up to her. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Well, he was literal. He hated his mom. Yes. So, over, like, a few weeks after he got rid of her body, all of her body was recovered except for the head, of course, because yeah. it was in the yard, and her right hand. The police, after, like, from finding her remains, they figured out that, like, her body was hacked up and then cut mm. into pieces with a power saw. <gasps> but it says that... He, like, dismembered her body in his mom's bathtub. Yeah. How'd that work? Unless he, like, hacked her up in the bathtub and then, like, took her outside? I don't know. Yeah. Add that to the list to ask him. <laughs> this is so sad. It is. I it, mean, we've been joking, but it really is sad. Yeah. Well, if we don't joke, we're going to cry. True. All right. So, this time, he only waited about a month and said, like, whereas before it was, like, May, September, January... This time, he only waited until February 5th of 1973, after which he had, like, this really heated argument with his mom. Like, that's, they they say, is, like, what would spur him into these murderous rampages, basically, Mm -hmm. was because he was, like, trying to kill his mom over and over and over again in all these situations. And so, he had an argument with his mom. So, of course, he leaves the house mad, going to search for a new victim. God. Because all these girls in the area that were hitchhiking had gone missing, they were like, okay, y'all, you have to, you have to stop hitchhiking, um, only get into cars with people who have university stickers on them. Yeah. Like, don't, like, don't just get in the car with anybody. Yeah. Well, Ed Kemper had a university sticker. Oh, Because his mom worked there. She was like, I think, maybe like an administrative assistant or something. So, he came upon 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen Lou. She went by Allison. So, Rosalind was the first one to get in his car and was like, no, Allison, it's okay. Come on. Like, told Allison to get in. Oh, my gosh. Because she was like, hey, he's got this sticker. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Well, he used his twenty-two caliber pistol again and shot them both and then wrapped their bodies in blankets. Golly. He took Rosalind and Allison back to his mother's house again, but instead... 
he beheaded them in the car and then took their corpses into his mom's house, like what their the headless heck? corpse. And th- and he had sex with their bodies then. Ugh. He's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Then he dismembered the bodies, as he always does, removed those bullets, and um, the next morning got rid of their remains. One week later, there were some remains found in Eden Canyon, and then more were found, like, in March, scattered on a yeah. highway. When he was interviewed later and asked, like, why'd you take the heads off before you had sex with the bodies? Yeah. He said, the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is. The brain, the eyes, the mouth. That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head's cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. (gasps) Ew. Yep. Ew. So, that was in February, early February. He waited until late April. We're kind of coming to a close. When he came home from a party, some stuff says that his mom was, like, in the kitchen. Some stuff says she was in bed. And he, like, went in to say hey. Um, But she was somewhere in the house reading a book. Well, when he came home, she was like, well, I suppose you're going to want to sit up and talk all night now. And so, he was like, no, good night. Oh, my gosh. And so she just was a royal bitch, yes. right? Like, so he waited for her to fall asleep because he was pissed, of course. I mean, hell, that would have pissed me off. So he waited for her to fall asleep and then went into her room and bludgeoned her with a claw hammer. And oh, then, my gosh. Could you imagine no. how bad that would hurt? No. And then he slit her throat. Ooh. I bet he probably almost decapitated her doing that. Well, and then he did. Decapitate her. Oh, God. He didn't have sex with her body, did he? Yes, he did. Oh, God. He had Irumatio with her head. Oh. And then used her head as a dartboard. (gasps) What? And then he said that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour and threw darts at it and smashed her face in. It gets worse. He cut out her tongue and her larynx and put it down the garbage disposal. Oh, my gosh. So, but the garbage disposal had a hard time, like, breaking down the vocal cords because they're really tough. And so, it just, like, pushed them back out. Oh, God. And he said, oh, God, this is actually kind of poetic that it was her vocal cords that came out. Because he said, um, his quote was, that seemed appropriate. As much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. Wow. You know, I mean, like, is, like, horrifying is... As it is that he put her body parts into yeah. a garbage disposal, the fact that it was her vocal cords that right. came up is like, it, it's it's very poetic. Yeah. Awful, but Twisted. Poetic. So after he finished screaming at her corpse and, I mean, at her head and all of that, he had sex with her corpse. Um, And then he hid her body in a closet and then went out for a drink. Well, he was thirsty. So after he got back from going out with a drink, he called up his mom's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor Hallett, and they called her Sally, and he invited her over for dinner and a movie. Wow. I know. When she got there, he strangled her to death, then decapitated her, and then just spent the night with her body. Wow. Mm -hmm. There's a pillow for that. I mean, I sleep with a body pillow. (laughs) When you're old, you gotta align the (laughs) hips. Or he'll wake up with your hips hurting. (laughs) Right? Ugh. So then he put her corpse into a closet and then, like, I don't know, like, tried to hide any evidence, but then left a note. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
He left a note for the police that read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. So then he took Sally's car, started driving east. And so he went through, like, Nevada and Utah. When he got to Colorado, he was like, what the fuck? I haven't heard anything about my mom's murder on the radio. Like, what the hell? So he went to the nearest phone booth. Oh, my god! Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. And, and no one did. Well... Actually, uh-uh. you're right. He, no, sort of. So he called the police, but because, remember, he was, like, chummy with the cops yeah. back at home. Like, he went to the jury room with them and drank with them and all that stuff. Yeah. They thought he was playing a trick. And so they didn't believe him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They were like, what? Because he's so mild-mannered. Yeah. I mean, like, if you watch, like, Mindhunter, because it's very true to his character. Mm-hmm. I mean, who he actually is. Like, I yeah. mean, his, like, person character, not, like, actor character. Yeah, his mannerism um, Yeah, and yeah. And so he was just so mild-mannered. Yeah. Outwardly, that they were like, this is bullshit. He's yeah. playing a trick on us. So a couple hours later, he called back and asked to speak to somebody, like, to an officer that he, like, really knew. Mm-hmm. And he con- that he confessed to that officer who believed him. And he just sat there and waited for a police car to arrest him and take him into custody. Wow. And then when he got there, he confessed to all the murders. Wow. When he asked, like, why he turned himself in and why he confessed, he said, the purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. Wow. So when... So he was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7th um, of 1973. He was assigned to the chief public defender, whose name was Jim Jackson. And that guy also defended Herbert Mullen, who is actually a good one I should do one day. Mm -hmm. But Herbert Mullen was actually in prison with... Ed Kemper later, and I'm about to tell you, it's about to it's about to pieces come together. Okay. So because the it was so awful... His attorney was like, you need to plead, you know, to, or you need to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. And when he was awaiting his trial, Ed Kemper tried to commit suicide twice, obviously survived. Yeah. And so then the trial continued October 23rd, 1973. Three different court-appointed psychiatrists found him to be legally sane. One of them did an interview under a truth serum. Mm-hmm. While he was under the truth serum, Ed Kemper confessed that um, he sliced some flesh from one of the legs of his uh, from the legs of his victims, and then cooked and ate them in a Ooh. flesh casserole. Ooh! I know, I know, I know. Oh God! A skin saute. Yes, but later Kemper was like, he recanted that confession, like of the cannibalism. But here's my thing: I could be wrong. But I feel like I remember reading somewhere that those truth serums aren't necessarily truth serums. Like, that you can, like, confess to things mm-hmm. that you didn't actually do. Like, as far as, like, you may tell, like, a dream you had or a, mm. even a fantasy that yeah. you had and it in your head be real, but you didn't actually do it. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of don't believe that he did the cannibalism because it doesn't really fit right. with anything. Yeah. Um, And, like... If he was going to do it, why just shave off legs? And You know what I mean? Of yeah. all the 
parts. I mean, he's already dismembering them. He's already having sex with the... Like, of all the things that he could do with these bodies, you're going to shave off the legs? Right. I don't know. Again, it's all awful and... What do I know? But it just doesn't fit his M.O. Right. In California, they use the McNaughton standard to decide if a defendant is able to, like, if they actually can, say, be, (laughs) if they can't actually be criminally insane. There has to be one of two factors involved. They have to show that at the time of committing the act, that they were under a deficit of reason from disease of the mind and not knowing the true nature and quality of the act or that they didn't know what they were doing is wrong. So they were like, no, he clearly knows what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. And he had, I mean, it was first group, like it was planned. It, mm-hmm. He had a, it was, so it wasn't like a, he went insane and, which is not a thing. Criminally insane is legal term, not yeah. a psychiatric term. But no, like it was first degree murder. He planned it. He yeah. knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. He hid the body. You know, he, mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing. So November of 1973, the jury, it was made up of six women and six men. They deliberated for five hours and then found him guilty on all counts. So he actually asked for the death penalty, and he said that he wanted death by torture. But there was a moratorium on the death penalty in California at the time, and so the only thing he could be sentenced to was life without parole. So he he received seven life sentences to be served concurrently, and then he was sentenced to the California Medical Facility for incarceration and medical observation. So while he was there, he was actually on the same block with Herbert Mullins okay. and Charles Manson. Could you imagine oh. being a corrections officer on that block? With Charles Manson and Ed fucking Kemper. Oh my gosh. We're going to have to do Herbert Mullins too, because his is good too. Yeah, I don't know him. So Ed Kemper hated Herbert Mullins. Really? He said that because, okay, so Herbert Mullins was basically a serial killer around the same time, but he was in like Santa Cruz. And so Kemper just said like, Mullins is just a cold-blooded killer. Like he just kills everybody. Like, Almost just for sport. Like, he kills people for no reason. And so he's like, I have nothing for that, you know. And he said, well, isn't he just the moral police? I mean, there we go. Everybody has standards. True. So, okay. Here's the kicker. This is why I can see this next part kind of puts into perspective why Iko Koo let him back in the car because so Herbert Mullins was only 5'7 and like so like a full foot shorter than Ed Kemper yeah and he said that Herbert Mullins would often sing and like bother people when they were trying to watch TV oh my god and so Ed Kemper started to throw water on him to to like get him to stop singing and so he said that when he would stop singing he would give him peanuts and say good boy Oh, my gosh. Because Herbert Mullins liked peanuts. So, eventually, he conditioned him. Yeah. Like, classical conditioning conditioned him with the water and the peanuts to where it got to a point where Herbert Mullins would ask his permission to sing. Wow. And he's like, that was a behavior modification treatment he learned in when he was a juvenile and for his grandparents' murder. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, he, in 2015... As like so, the one of the most recent articles I read was from 2015. He was in General Pop. He was wow. a model prisoner. Do you know what he does now? No, what he narrates books for people who are blind. What? Uh huh. He has recorded over 
5,000 hours of record, like yeah. re- narrating books. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. A 1984 documentary called Murder, No Apparent Motive. Um, he was interviewed for that, and he was quoted saying, or he said in the interview, there's someone out there that's watching this that hasn't done that, hasn't killed people and wants to. And rages inside and struggles with that feeling or is so sure that they have it under control. They need to talk to somebody about it. Trust someone enough to sit down and talk about something that isn't a crime. Thinking that way isn't a crime. Doing it isn't just a crime. It's a horrible thing. It doesn't know when to quit and it can't be stopped easily once it starts. Sorry, I ended that weird. It sounded like it was going to keep going, but it didn't. (laughs) Um, He did an interview for Cosmopolitan Magazine. What? Yeah, girl, he is like living it up doing these interviews. (laughs) Because he does, you know, I mean, it's like, it's such a great way to learn about these killers. Because most people, most of them don't open up like this. But um, they asked him how it felt like after he had killed his mom when he would see a pretty girl this question like made me think back to because when he brushed the breast of marianne pesci and he was like oh sorry you know when he literally minutes later murdered her yeah so they asked him how he felt when he saw a pretty girl after he killed his mom and he said one side of me says i'd like to talk to her to date her the other side of me says i wonder how her head would look on a stick Wow. At least he didn't say, I wonder what her head would look like on my dick. He has come up for parole a lot. I think I actually earlier said he got life without parole, but he just got life sentences. He was been actually eligible for parole quite a few times. And like basically every three years since 1979. Wow. And so like all of these years, he was going up for parole and he was like, I'm not fit to return to society. Quit having these parole hearings. Yeah. And in 2012, he like waived his right to a hearing. And stipulated that, like, he's like, I'm not interested in going to the 2017 one. And then, so, in 2017, he was denied parole again. His next eligibility is in 2024. Whoa. Of course, he's never getting out. Like, nobody's letting yeah. him out. But isn't that crazy? Yes. Like, and he knows. I mean, he at least has that insight to be like, mm no. First of all, he's living it up in jail. I was about jail. to say, he, he doesn't want to return even because his purpose is gone. Mm-hmm. He killed Bowser, basically. <laughs> Saved the princess and killed yeah. Bowser. What else is left to do? Nothing. Mario Kart. So, yeah, that's Ed Kimber. Wow. It's really, like, the stories of how he, like, more so, well, the murders, of course, are sad. But it's how he desecrated the bodies yes. that are the wor- that are just, like, the gut-wrenching details of this. Yes. And, again, obviously, we made lots of jokes, but it really does break our hearts. And we yeah. really are sympathetic to these victims and their families and could you imagine being a family of one of these victims and having to hear this story and then having to relive these stories as part of the trial because he was trying to get an insanity plea right you know and he killed his grandparents and they let him back out clearly that didn't work let's not repeat history again right lived and learned heavy stuff Mm mm-hmm but I loved it (laughs) I know well and again we really have learned so much from him just like we as in Society. society and just the mind of a murderer and yeah. a more so of a serial killer and a sociopath. So earlier tonight when I mentioned the windows about Let's Not Meet, that mm-hmm. episode that really got me. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like that is really creepy. Well, you're about to see why. Ooh, ominous. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So here we go. Picture it. It's a quiet night and you're at home. Maybe asleep or watching TV, whatever the fuck you do at your house, (laughs) but it's late and there's a knock at your door. Don't answer it. (laughs) Or 
Maybe you're in a parking lot walking to your car. Maybe you're at a stop sign and they approach your car. They seem to be in need of your help and don't look threatening because they're kids. <gasps> mm-hmm. But something doesn't feel right. They begin to ask for something. Usually, please let us come in. You have a fear rising up inside of you, but you're also empathetic because they're kids. But you stand your ground. You say no. And then they persist. They cannot take no for an answer. That's when you begin to notice that something's not quite right about them. And first and foremost, it's their eyes. <gasps> Pure black. From what? lid to lid. What? They are the black-eyed kids. What? Mm-hmm. Yes, girl. <laughs> True story. On our break, I locked the doors. Damn. And I shut the curtains. Damn. Because I knew I was talking about this. So the story that kind of started this urban legend, paranormal phenomena, it was written by a man named Brian Bethel. And it was him recounting his experience, but it's in 1996. So they really didn't have like forums back then, but they had those email lists. I don't know if you were ever on them, but I was. Like chain mail, but it was email? Yeah. And, but like everyone wanted to be on it. It it wasn't like open this or you're going to not be married in five years. Oh, I, that's what I was picturing. Oh, like, no. It was... If you don't send this, you're going to die in seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, no. Not that. It was like like a chain email, but it was like, okay, me and 50 of these people who like ghost stories, oh. we share this kind of shit. Gotcha. So, this is his story. Okay. Okay, so again, 1996, Abilene, Texas, Brian Bethel. Here we go again with the Texas. I know. Like we said, people say it's Florida, but... <laughs> I know, right? Everything's bigger in Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Brian, he needed to pay his internet bill. Because, you know, he wanted to write that chain mail. Um, yeah, because you used to have to, like, buy hour. Yeah. Pay. Yeah. So, he was going to pay it, but he's like me. He doesn't write the check until he's there. So, he is... In a parking lot and writing his check. And he said there was a knock on his driver's side window and two young boys somewhere between 9 and 12. And they were dressed in hoodie pullovers and jeans. In Abilene, Texas, where it's hot AF. Right. So he said he cracked the window a little bit. So he's like cranking it down just a tad bit. He said he was thinking they're going to ask for money, you know, but he said he was immediately gripped with an incomprehensible soul-wracking fear. Oh, God. And he said he had no idea why, because he, again, thought they were just peddlers. Yeah. And they're kids. Yeah. Well, it's crazy how you really do have that, like, sixth sense that it really is just like an intuition that you have yeah. when you're in a dangerous situation like that, where you're like, mm -mm, I know that this shouldn't be put me on high alert, but right. it does. Yes. Because your intuition is telling you, run. Yes. So one of the boys asked him for a ride. He said that they were wanting to see a movie, but left their money at their mother's house. So Brian finally muttered some words and he asked what movie they were going to see. And this cracked me up, but okay. So the kid answered Mortal Kombat, of course. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then he said the silent one, you know, the hype guy, he just kind of nodded in affirmation. And so he said that he was like, oh, okay. And he looked at the marquee because there was a theater 
in like the, what do you call it? Like a shopping yeah. center, you know? Yeah. And so he looked at the marquee, saw the time, and looked at his clock oh. on his dash. It had been planned for an hour, and it was the last showing of the night. Oh, uh-uh. They were not going there. Right. And so he said the silent one, hype guy, looked increasingly nervous. And so he kind of saw Brian put two and two together, mm-hmm. you know? And so then he said, come on, mister, let us in. We can't get in your car until you tell us we can. <gasps> And then he said, just let us in and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. And they kind of speak soothing, mm-hmm. kind of sing-songy, you oh, know. Oh, God. Yeah. Not like uh, one, yeah. two, Freddy's coming for you, but like kind of in <laughs> <laughs> kind of in unison, yeah. kind of like how we do most of the time. <laughs> so he said he molded over, but the, you know, boys kept trying to reassure him. Yeah. Uh, they said, it won't take long. We're just two little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. <gasps> uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And so he said he looked away for a moment, but then when his eyes returned to theirs, he got really scared. Whole body felt it. Yeah. And he said, because both boys stared at me with coal black eyes. And he said he rolled up his window and they started banging on <gasps> the glass. And they were saying, we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. He said he ripped the car in reverse. Thank goodness no one was coming up behind me. And tore out of the parking lot and he said he noticed the boys in his peripheral vision mm-hmm. but when he stole like a glance back they were gone <gasps> yeah oh my gosh and so the story has been added to creepypasta that mm-hmm. website yeah but to this day bethel says like he has not changed anything about the story dang and he's been interviewed and st- he's not making any money from it yeah like it's not doing anything Okay, so some facts about black-eyed kids. Because I got some more stories, but I want you to now, like, before you hear those stories, have it kind of in your mind Mm -hmm. and look for certain cues. Question. Are their whole eyes black Mm -hmm. or just, like... I'm getting to the facts. Oh, God. So, facts about black-eyed kids. Bullet point one. Black-eyed kids will look like normal human children between ages 6 and 16, but they have pale skin and completely black eyes. Lid to lid, no white. What? Additionally, people who have been in close proximity have that fear. It hits them and they're like, mm-mm, abort, I was abort. About to say, abort mission, <laughs> something ain't right. However, they still feel compelled to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like your instinct is something's not right, mm-hmm. but then also your instinct is, but it's kids. I right. need to help them. Right. Damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're commonly described as wearing dated clothes, dressing in a manner not typical of a normal child, hand-me-downs, which, I mean... You can't blame a person for that. I mean, we're both the youngest of four kids. <laughs> yeah. Hand-me-downs were our jam. Right? Or in jeans and hoodies. They got one thing like, okay. Kids these days wear those, right? <laughs> Put on your knickers. <laughs> <laughs> and they always ask for something. So, will you let us in? You'll see later, like, what else they yeah. ask for. But they're always asking. Just like freaking kids. Damn. <laughs> and usually the questions have something that means that they're going to be in close proximity to you. 
It's not like, give me $5 so I can do that. It's like, okay, well, can I get in your car while you reach in your wallet and give me $5? You know, it's like something weird. Yeah. In 2014, a British paper reported that sightings of black-eyed kids were, like, rising all around the world. He was, like, the first reported one Mm -hmm. when he did that. But after that, like, people were like, hey. I saw that too. Yeah. 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 Theories about black-eyed kids are that, and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, vampires, aliens, or of demonic origin. Vampires, because they have to be let in. They keep saying, you have to let us in. Yeah. They're and saying they're like that. Yeah. And they're always at night, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Aliens, because they don't seem of this time You know, they'll have older clothing, kind of like ghosts when, or even vampires, they're always in the clothes and they talk how it was in that time that they died. Right. So it's kind of like that. But it's also like someone said, okay, we're going to send you to Earth. And this is, yeah, like this is what the kids wear. This is what the kids say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right on. And then demonic origin, because usually there's a smell, like moldy, and for demonic stuff it's like sulfur and things so they're just saying like with the smells and they seem not good you know you have that fear and stuff so and the black eyes yeah (laughs) so because we don't know really about them i'll get into another thing later okay i don't want to cut you off completely i want you to be open to these stories well you shouldn't have led with vampires Okay, so one woman wrote about her experience on a website called Week in Weird. Her username is No Sleep 2012, but we're going to call her Sarah. Okay. <laughs> you named her? Because mm-hmm, I thought No Sleep Sarah just kind of went cute. Okay, so Sarah said that she almost felt like it was a dream. She woke up to her dog Lucy barking. They've had her like three months. So, you know, she's a puppy. She might be barking at whatever. We know how Marley gets about that damn raccoon raccoon and possum. Yeah, and especially if they just got her, she's like getting used to sounds and stuff. Yeah. Well, so they're in their room, her and her husband, and they have their 22-month-old daughter all in their little room. They had a roommate too, so like that's why they're all up in their little room. Yeah. So she said that she decided that it would be best to open the door and show Lucy, her dog, nothing's out there. Yeah. Like, stay quiet. But she bolted to the front door, but... They had a baby gate, so she couldn't get to the front door yet. And she was, like, freaking her freak. So she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, whatever. Open the gate. And she went straight to the door and was, like, barking, you know. But she hadn't, like, shushed her or anything. So she said that the second her hand reached for the deadbolt, because she was going to show her outside, like, nothing's Nothing. Let's go to bed. Like, the baby's still asleep. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, So she said the second her hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went wild. She went to barking and jumping towards Sarah. Uh, and she said when she touched the metal, she just changed her temper. Like she was whimpering <gasps> and like scared and was backing away. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so she was like, okay. And she said like her mannerisms changed. She wasn't thinking, nothing's out there. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it was like, Oh, wait. Something's up. This isn't right. She said her heart was racing and sinking at the same time. And I have felt that before. And that is not a good feeling. No, that's scary. 
Like, my brain can't think at that time. Yeah. She said that she had never been flooded with the mixture of fear and dread. She looked through the peephole, and she said she can't explain why she looked, but she did. You know, like, because she was thinking, nothing's out there, but then the dread came in, and she's like, let me take a peep. Outside were two kids. (gasps) She said one was just a smidgen shorter than her and didn't look much younger. Sarah was 21, and she looked to be 16 or 17. Uh, She said she was slender pale. Her hair was blonde and it was long mid-back. She had long blunt bangs that kind of hid her eyes. She wore jeans and a pullover style hoodie. Uh, She held the hand of a small girl who looked to be around three or four in the same style jeans uh, and she had a cardigan on. Uh, The smaller one looked to the floor shyly, you know, like a kid would do. Yeah. She said, had it not been for the feeling of overwhelming dread, she probably would have let the kids in because they're kids. Yeah. Uh, She said she probably would have offered them tea, hot chocolate because it was cold out and they were dressed for the cold but weren't. Yeah. You know? But she said something about them seemed off. So she said that she hadn't shushed the dog, grumbled, nothing, and she hadn't turned on any lights, which I don't know how people do that, like, at (laughs) night because I get freaked the fuck out. Which is weird because you hate lights on during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's because I can see. Well, and I don't like lights on if I'm watching TV or something. But if I hear a noise. That's the first thing you do is turn the light on. Yeah. Or my phone and yeah. do the light. But, uh, so, okay, she said the kids had no indicators that she was at the door because she, you know, again, she just touched it. So she said that then the older one, the one that looked 16, started to speak. (gasps) She said she held her head still tilted downwards so she couldn't see her eyes. Uh, And she said, we have to use your phone. And Sarah said she was frozen in fear. How did she know that she was at the door? Then she raised her head to face Sarah directly, and that's when she saw her eyes. (gasps) And so she said the reason she couldn't see him before were her bangs and her head was tilted down. Uh, She said they were black or midnight blue, some kind of dark, you know. And the girl said, our mother is worried. And so she said that Sarah said that she's always been interested in creepy stories, so she knew when she looked at them that these are black-eyed kids. Oh, she had heard of them before? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. She said that she had, like, never really believed in the stories, but she liked to hear them. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you. (laughs) But she said that she still, like, couldn't rationalize her way out of this, though. She's like, I'm here. There's a door. And then there's these kids. And they knew I was here without her making a peep. Yeah. So she said she didn't answer her and slowly and silently took a step back. And she said Lucy was, like, right on her, like, stepping back, too. And I just picture Shaggy and Scooby, like... (laughs) Going backwards, you know? Yeah. And Sarah said the girl just kept talking. And she said, just let us in to use your phone. And so she took another step back, you know, like, okay, I'm gold. And then she said that the girl changed her tone. Because at first, she seemed polite. Yeah. You know, it was kind of a monotone, accentless. And then she said when she took that second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile. She said, we're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken in. I'll ask again, may we come in and use your phone? Uh-uh. She said Lucy snarled at the door and she inched backwards. So again, I still just like Yeah. So she him. like Shaggy's like lanky. Yes. <laughs> but she said as she inched 
back and she knew like this is bad, she still had that pulling, but I need to go let him in. Yeah. And she said it wasn't like a physical, like being pulled magically to the door. It was just in her gut. Like almost like a longing. Yes. Oh. Perfect. Thanks, I am. (laughs) She said that with that, she went to her room, covered up a window that was open. Like, not open as in open, but just, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, like the curtain. Yeah. (laughs) So she covered that up, locked the door, her bedroom door. Yeah. Just sat there. And she said that she heard her keep saying stuff (gasps) like, come back, let us in, you know. And she said it happened a few more times and then it was quiet. She said she did not go back to sleep that night. Uh Uh-uh. And she said that she knew from reading about black-eyed kids, they couldn't come in without her permission, but it was just like, what if I'm the exception? Yeah. You know, like how we always are. God, how scary. Like when we're like, it could be a killer behind there, but you're like, but I know it's not. But what if it is? Right. Like, I don't want to trust it at a haunted house, circus, or whatever. Like, that's what I meant. Because we're paranoid. (laughs) Okay, so this one is another story from Week in Weird. Mm-hmm. And this one is called, I Let the Black-Eyed Children Inside My House. <gasps> I was yeah. wondering that, like, what happens if you let them in? Like, do they live to tell? <laughs> when she wrote in, she said, I've made the mistake of letting the black-eyed kids inside, and now I'm worried I might die because of it. What? Mm-hmm. She said, I hope this will be a warning to everyone to make sure they don't make the mistake I made. She said she lives out in the country in Vermont where they don't have to lock their doors. I don't give a fuck if you live in the damn Truman Show. You fucking lock your doors. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Gosh, I don't get it. No. My doors are always locked. That's how every murder starts. We lived in a town that, I mean, nobody even locked the doors. (laughs) Well, that's why you're dead. Oh, God. But true. She said a little over a year ago, she woke up because she heard a loud banging on her front door. So at the time... She and her husband lived in a small home on a dirt road. Okay, so it's like not in town, but like on the outskirts. Right. It was in the middle of a snowstorm, and she said the hills kind of get slippery. So she thought someone may have wrecked their car, you know, needed gas, something like that, because it's happened before. So she looked out the window, and she saw that the motion light was on. She said that she could see where there were footprints in the snow, and so it had come off of that road to their driveway, uh, but she couldn't find a car anywhere. So she said that uh, the snow was still covering the road, so no one's driven on it for, like, at least a couple of hours. So she wasn't, like, at the front door, but she could see kind of the silhouette of someone standing there at the front door. So she wasn't sure, like, okay, well, I don't see a car. I don't see where a car has went. Like, who is this person? Where did they come from? It's a fucking snowstorm. Right. Um, So she went and got her husband up because, you know, she's like, if I'm going to die, you're going to die too. Right. So she was telling him, like, what was going on and the banging on the door started again. So her husband went over and answered it while she stood in the hallway. That's pretty much what would happen to me. I'd be like, yeah, you go and answer it. I'll be back here. (laughs) (laughs) So when he opened the door, there were two children standing standing in the snow looking 
toward the ground. Okay, so there was a boy and a girl, and she said they couldn't have been more than eight years old. Oh, gosh. Yeah. They were dressed strangely and had odd haircuts. The girl's hair was very long and straight, and the boy had a dated haircut. He almost had, like, a bowl haircut. That's exactly what I was picturing when you said dated. Yeah. She said they were not dressed for winter, and she was like, maybe they're Mennonite children, you know? And she was... Where were they? Virginia? Vermont. Vermont. But she said she didn't think they had a large community of Mennonites real close. Yeah. But this person must have watched TLC like we did. (laughs) (laughs) So she's like, okay, I mean, who knows? So she said... Thinking back on it now, her normal reaction to seeing children in a snowstorm would have been, come inside, get some soup, here's some cocoa. Warm up. Mm -hmm. But that's not how she felt. Something's off. Yeah. Uh, They would not make eye contact. And when her husband asked them if everything was okay, they asked, can we come in? So her husband looked at her and was like, what do I do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so she asked the kids, I can just see her like kind of leaning over. Yeah. From the hallway and being like, where are your parents at? Yeah. Like safely a distance away. Yeah. Like, honey, ask them this. (laughs) So all they said was, They'll be here soon. Okay, so she said it was around 2 o'clock in the morning. And so the only reasonable thought was that there must have been an accident or these kids got lost. So as much as she was thinking, don't invite them in, they did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she went into the kitchen to make them some hot cocoa and her husband sat with them in the living room. She said while she was fixing the kettle, I can just see that. Yeah, that's cute. So sweet. Uh, She could hear her husband talking to the kids. He was asking if they were okay, where they came from, how far they walked, if their parents' car had broke down. Yeah. But all they answered was, our parents will be here soon. Again, she said they spoke in a sing-songy voice. uh, And she said she kind of found it odd that they didn't feel strange in a stranger's house. Yeah. You know, they were just sitting there emotionless and not, you know, like kids would be fidgeting and... Looking around and... Especially if they were separated from their parents. Yeah. She said also that they had four cats and all of them were hiding except one named Pigeon. Pigeon's a goner. Mm. So she said Pigeon was in the kitchen with her and normally their cats are very curious, Mm -hmm. you know, like rubbing up on people. She said they have to be careful that they don't run out of the door when they leave. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So then she noticed that all of the hair was standing up on Pigeon's neck. Mm-mm. His tail was puffed up while he was looking in the living room. When she bent down to pet him, he hissed at her, which he never has done. Yeah. And then he went and hid underneath the kitchen island. And she said she had never seen him out like that before. When she walked back into the living room, the kids were sitting on the couch as still as they could be. But her husband was holding his head in his hands. She asked him what was wrong and he said he felt very dizzy all of a sudden. But that he was fine. It, you know, just, yeah, it's two o'clock in the morning and they just got woken up, you know. She said she turned back to give the children their cocoa. But then when they looked at her, she gasped because she noticed their eyes. She said that it took everything inside of her not to drop the mugs 
because it startled her so much. She said when they saw that she was scared, they stood up and asked if they could use the bathroom. She said she tried to be as composed as she could be and showed them down the hall. Then when they went into the bathroom together, she hurried up to tell her husband like, did you see their eyes? Yeah. You know? And he said he had seen them too, but it said it looked like his brothers when he was badly bruised. Mm-hmm. So he probably thought they were abused or something. Yeah. You know? Golly. That breaks my heart. Yeah. She said they were in the middle of talking about whose children they could be when her husband's nose started to bleed. He had never had nosebleeds before. She said she just knew inside that it had to be something with the kids. Yeah. Like, where did this come from? So she started crying, but she ran and got her husband the tissues. Mm-hmm. And that's when the power went out. <gasps> She said she heard her husband yell her name, and so she started to walk back through the hallway, but she stopped dead in her tracks because the two children were standing at the end of the hallway. They weren't moving, and she said she had never been so scared in her entire life. They just stood there in the dark. That's like The Shining style. Yes. Oh, my gosh. She said after what felt like forever, the boy said, our parents are here. (gasps) And they walked to the door, opened it, walked out, and didn't close it. She said her husband jumped up to close it and almost fell over because he was so So dizzy. dizzy. She said they looked out the window and saw two men standing by a black car idling at the end of their driveway. Hmm. The men looked like they were wearing black colored suits and were very tall, at least six feet. Men in black. When my husband waved at them, they just stared at us, got in the car, and drove off. Our power came back on half an hour later, but nothing was the same after that night. There's more to the story, but I will say yes. That's why they also attribute them kind of to shadow people mm-hmm. because of the men in black, your fave. <laughs> Sarcasm there, people, because she hates them. She does not believe in them. But all I know is don't answer the door tonight. But yeah, so like aliens, shadow people, something, and how the men in black acted weird, like not of this time. Mm-hmm. Kind of all... Kind of sounding the same. Yeah. Okay, so over the next few months, three of their cats went missing. And uh, she said they can only assume that they ran away somewhere, never came back. Yeah. But the worst thing was coming home to find Pigeon in a pool of blood on the (gasps) living room floor. He looked like he had been vomiting up blood. Oh, no. And the vet told us that he had some kind of hemorrhage. Oh, gosh. Yes. Her husband kept having nosebleeds, um, and so they went to see the doctor. He said he didn't know what to make of it other than, like, dry nasal passages. Mm-hmm. But they found out that her husband was uh, had an aggressive form of skin cancer. <gasps> and the doctor was like, do you use tannin beds? Because this kind of, this form, you know, really yeah. happens with that. Um, the doctors think he will recover, but they don't understand how it got so bad so quickly. Yeah. Her husband has never worked an outdoor job and spends relatively little time in the sun. Yeah. You know? She said, since they let the black-eyed kids into their home, she has suffered regular dizzy spells and nosebleeds. She said she had other issues, which she won't mention here, 
but she said that she's suddenly in the worst condition of her life and no one can do anything about it. So I feel like lady parts are involved. Yeah. You know, because, you know, she's not TMI like I would be. Well, and I think it's weird that they had the same symptoms, like yeah. the dizziness and the nose bleeding. So she said that we've told everyone we could about the strange kids that showed up, but no one else saw them and some laugh at them. And like, you were scared of Mennonite kids. You know? Yeah. Uh, And she was like, I wish my husband would have never opened that door. Damn. Okay, so I wrote two things to talk about, and it was the resemblance of the men in black. So you've already got that ring-a-ding-ding. You won. (laughs) Okay, second, the skin cancer diagnosis. I read that it is kind of what people say when they've been abducted by ufo oh god (laughs) and not just abducted but witnesses close you know to whatever and it's known as moonburn syndrome and it's like radiation burns and stuff Mm -hmm. so it really does seem like alien type stuff uh so, I don't know. I mean, I believe in aliens because, again, they don't have to be what we know of aliens. Like little green men. Right. I mean, they could be. But, I mean, we come in all shapes and sizes. And, I mean, I feel like they could, too. True. Oh, and also because some of the skeptics are like, these are just kids buying the black contacts and oh, trying true. to freak people out. However, it says, given that the average age is about 13 no one can afford those because the full Scalera contacts, that's what it is, really expensive because if you actually wear them, you'd have to get them fitted for your eye um, because it's the full Scalera. So not all eyes are the same. Yeah. And so you'd have to get them fitted by an optometrist, which means moolah, which 13-year-olds aren't doing for a prank. Right. And um, people say that they're really painful to wear. Yeah. And so, like, even actors who have to wear them and stuff, they don't wear them for long. And so for these kids to do that for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, however long, if they're let in or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if these are pranksters, they're not just going to stop at one house. Right. You know, because if they don't get let in, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me go to another one. Right. You know, it would just be too painful. That's crazy. Yeah. So to think of it, it's like, well, no. Not so much prankster. Yeah. Not so much alien either. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. So this guy, David Weatherly, he researched, investigated, and wrote a book about black-eyed kids. And he found one of the earliest known accounts of black-eyed kids dates back to 1950 in Virginia. And it concerns a 16-year-old boy known as Harold. So according to the story, uh, Harold was walking home and he came across another boy leaning against the fence looking like he is waiting on someone. Like a picture Huckleberry Finn. Against the fence. Did you ever read that book or watch the movie? No, but I pictured like a greaser leaning back on the fence. (laughs) That's so funny. So Harold attempted to speak to him like, hey man, what up? And did not receive any response. Uh, So he just kind of looked at him, you know? And so Harold was like, all right, peace, homie. And then the boy kind of just stated to Harold, I want to go to your house. You're going to walk me up to your house. Um, excuse me? 
Mm-hmm. Like, uh, skirt, angel no, bitch. Uh, right? No, the fuck I'm not. <laughs> Back the hell up, you strange little boy. First of all, you're a kid. I'm not. <laughs> hell fucking no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when he said that, it kind of startled Harold. And that's when he looked at the guy more and noticed his eyes. There was no white just solid black. He said something more strange and uh, more chilling happened. He began to contemplate in his head, like, okay, I think I'm just going to run from this guy. Like, I'm close to home. Yeah. I'm going to run. But before he could, like, even start, the boy blurted out, now, don't you run away from me. <gasps> You're going to walk me up to your house. Uh-uh, because they can read mine. So... Luckily, Harold was like, uh, I don't care what you say. I'm doing yeah, it. <laughs> like, yeah. He's probably like, read my mind. Fuck you. <laughs> so he said he ran faster than his legs had ever carried him before, which I would imagine so. So when he got inside, he told his parents what happened, and his parents believed him, How actually. How old was he again? Uh, 16 years old, I believe. Okay. And so uh, it said so much so that his father actually grabbed his gun and went out looking like, strange boy. I'm coming for you. So then, uh, and his mother apparently thought her son had encountered the devil himself and was like, I'm taking you to a local priest. But, um, I mean, I don't know what happened. Yeah. If he went to the priest or not, but there's that. So that happened before Brian. Okay. Hopefully y'all still are like into these stories because there's one more. Okay. And it's from No Sleep Trash. Oh, my God, that's funny. Okay, so he's, like, writing this out on, like, Reddit, you know, but probably Reddit creepypasta somewhere. I don't know, but it was just in, like, a an article I found. Yeah. So he wrote, last night was like any other night. I was switching between listening to music and watching YouTube videos. He had one headphone in and one headphone out because he wanted to hear his daughter. If she cried, she was still a baby. He was on daddy duty, basically, because his wife works at 4 a.m. at the hospital every day. So then he was like, all right, look, it's late. I'll just go and lay down in the spare room in the baby's bedroom. So just as he dozed off, he heard a thumping sound coming from the front porch. He, like, was startled, eyes wide awake, you know, like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Scanned the room, and then he was like, oh, it's probably the cat scratching himself on the front porch. So then, like, started to doze off again, because he's like, it's cat, cat. Yeah. whatever. Well, then he heard the thumping again, and so he was like, that damn cat, you know, he's thinking, okay, if I don't get up and run him off the porch, it's just going to do this every time. Mm-hmm. So he got out of bed to run him off, and he didn't see him anymore. So he's like, whatever. Like, I'm just going to stay up for a minute. He's like me, because if I get up for just a second, I'm up for at least an hour. Uh-uh, not me. <laughs> so he was like, all right, I'll just get some tea, check Facebook, of course, and maybe finish the web series I was watching on YouTube. That Dang. literally sounds like me. That is you, and I could get up and go to the bathroom and fall asleep sitting <laughs> on the toilet. And then wake up, go back to bed, and fall asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow. <laughs> No. So he said a few minutes into the video, he felt the urge to look up at the kitchen window. (gasps) And there they were. (gasps) Yes. He said the tops of the two short people's head were cresting the stairs just above the window frame. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, they were short enough not to see in the window, but he could see out. He said he heard no footsteps on his porch. And at that moment when he was like, okay, didn't hear footsteps. People are out there. His stomach started to turn. Yeah. You know, like, fuck. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. It was not the cat this time. Right. And then he was like, sorry, cat, for blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> but so then he was like, okay, listening. And he could hear the knock, knock, knock. And it was like a steady hollow thump. Oh, God. That's ominous. Yes. And he said it was the same thump he had heard and blamed on the cat. He said he decided it was best not to answer. So he shut his laptop and crept by the door back to the baby's room. He assumed it was people from... (laughs) This is terrible. But I don't... I mean, I'm just reading it because he wrote it. Mm Mm-hmm. But he said uh, he thought it was some other people from the low-income housing across the road (gasps) that were high or hiding from the cops. And he said, the last thing I needed to try to explain to two stoners that I was trying to sleep, even though it's like 2 a.m. Yeah. Like, not even going to start it. So he said uh, when he got to his daughter's room, like, the creepiness set in again. Like, wait, 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 wait. You know, something's not right. And he said that the thump had moved from the kitchen to the bedroom window. (gasps) Both the windows, a room apart, thumping at the same perfect time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He was like, these stoners were going to wake up my daughter if I didn't run them off. Yeah. Okay. So he unlocks the door, opens it, and he's like ready to run on the side of the house and kick some little idiot's ass, he said. (laughs) He said, it happened, though, that standing there looking up at me were two 10 or 11-year-old boys. The feeling of dread and the smell of mold almost made me vomit. Ooh. The smaller of the two spoke and asked, may we use your telegraph? Telegraph? Mm-hmm. And so he was like, huh? And yeah. just kind of, like, stared blankly. And the kid um, was like, fuck, wrong decade. <laughs> He said he just, like, stared blankly at him, and then he realized their eyes were pitch black, of course. And then he asked again to use the telegraph. Okay, these might not be stoners, because they're young. Yeah. They're weird as fuck. And he said there was not another sound. No crickets, no dogs barking, no cars. Like, it was just silent. Dead silence, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said he tried to play it cool and ignore the fact that he didn't say telephone or phone. Um, He said anything that would have made sense to the situation, but he calmly replied, I don't have service at my house, sorry. And he said that right then, their expressions turned to rage. Because, <gasps> you know, they kids, and, like, if they don't get their way, they're going to throw a tantrum. Well, look, if these little... Black-eyed kids. Every time I say, you say that, I think of black-eyed peas. Me too, me too. If these little black-eyed kids want to get into a house, the first time they hear no, they shouldn't turn into assholes. Right? Like, literally, like, all but, like, the first story, (laughs) they, like, immediately turned into assholes. And it's like, play cool, man. I know. See, they don't know. They need a handbook. He said that when their expressions changed, he was like, the fuck, shut the door, locked it. And then he was like... I gotta go protect my daughter, my wife, like... Yeah. You know? And so, he said he picked her up from the crib and, like, held her close. He said that the fact that she didn't wake up kind of freaked him out. Yeah. Like, all the noise and stuff. Like, come on. But he was like, all right, let me see if she's still breathing. 
she's still warm. Okay. You know, because right. yeah. you start to kind of think, like, wait, why didn't she? Is she okay? Yeah. yeah. Then he said that the thumping on the windows was back. And so he dropped to the floor as close to the wall as he could, and he just held his daughter. Oh, God. Um, and then he said he started crying like a child because he was just so scared, and he didn't know what to do. Bless it. Yeah. He said he he was there for what felt like hours, crying and shaking until he finally heard it. his wife's alarm clock. The thumping stopped instant when the alarm went off. He said he crept into the master bedroom with the baby, and his wife was like, what's wrong with you? You know, and he was like, I just had a bad dream. So she was like, all right, give me the baby. I'm going to feed her before I go to work. You know, like she's. Yeah, oblivious. Yeah, it's like 4 a.m. She's just like, let me do my duty so I can go do my duty and get yeah. fucking paid. He handed her the baby and she he turned every light on the, in the house on, made coffee for her. And then he was just like able to breathe. Like, yeah. Okay, she's up. Things are back to normal, you know. It's getting light outside. I mean, because it's still 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so he was like, let me walk you out to your car, you know, and because he wants to protect her. Yeah. But then he's like, but you wait here and wait till I get back inside, like, and shut the door. And she's like, okay, I'll watch you walk back inside. Yeah. Weirdo. But he, like, didn't want to be attacked, you know? Yeah. So she did, and he made it. Uh, He made it in safely, locked the door again, and then he just sat there horrified all day, like, freaking the fuck out. Yeah. She got home, and he was like, you know, it's the weekend now. Let's go next town over, have a little staycation. Mm -hmm. Just get out of here. And so he said, here I sit. Horrified while she sleeps in the guest room with my daughter. I'm wondering why they stopped when the alarm went off. I think I know the answer. I was aware of black-eyed kids. She wasn't. Every story I've read about them is from someone who already knew about them. Maybe, just maybe, the knowledge of knowing they exist is the only reason they visit. Why the fuck did you tell me this story? And he said, I'm afraid and I'm sorry. What the fuck? Yeah. Why'd you tell me this story? I know. I actually have chills. I This freaks me out. I but, could live my entire life in bliss, <laughs> never seen a fucking black-eyed kid. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, um, Children of the Corn, that movie? Mm-hmm. That freaked me the fuck out because evil kids just freak me out. Mm-hmm. Like, the thought of this, because I do not like windows open. I close curtains. Mm-hmm. It does make me feel better that they can't come in. That we know of, unless you let them in. But then they can kind of control your mind. So I know tonight I'm going to be freaking freaked out when Marley starts screaming at the door from that damn raccoon. Oh, my God. Why did you tell me this story? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it scary? Everybody who listens to this episode is going to be like, what the fuck? (laughs) When they hear the end of it. Right? We're all going to die. I have to go get in my car and drive and then get out at my house. I know. I have to stay here tonight. And we talked about it here. That is not the fucking same. <laughs> I know. It's. I'm going to run every red light and stop signs <laughs> on the way home so that they don't come up to my car while I'm at a, like a red light. <laughs> One thing I learned 
this time. Do not answer the door. If little kids are there, they are not there to sell you Girl Scout Girl cookies. Scout cookies. Mm-hmm. No Thin Mint will take the pain away. That's not hunger in your belly. That's fear. Two, don't hitchhike. No, the last two weeks of mine have been hitchhiking. Yes. Don't do it. No. And three, always, always trust your gut. Yes. If you have to reason shit away. Don't do it. Don't. Because number one, the people with the kids opening mm-hmm. doors and stuff. And then also, like, the last two girls that he murdered, yeah. one of them was like, no, it's okay. Get in his car. Mm-hmm. And she hesitated. And if she wouldn't have gone. Yep. Because she should have trust her instinct. Yeah. And that's so hard and so easy at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, but because we've all trusted it. So we don't understand like when people don't do it, but we've never been in that situation. Oh, absolutely. Them, you know, so oh, absolutely. But it's so easy for us to be like, yeah, well, I trust him. I got in a weird situation, but it wasn't that situation. Absolutely. Well, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe we didn't get killed by a serial killer because we trusted our gut. Yeah, it's. Um, you never know what you're going to do in a situation. So by no means do are we or will we victim blame or shame in right. that regard. You just have to trust your gut. Yes. You do you. Do not care what other people think of you. You just want to stay alive. Right. Like, do what you have to do to survive. Preach. Just don't open the door. Please don't open the door. You can just hear their voice. Like, how they would talk, you yeah. know, just that monotone, creepy. But, like, and it, like, a cadence almost. Yes. Like a- and I can just hear them, like, mister, you know, like, mm-hmm. let us in and be pounding on the window. Uh-uh. Oh, my gosh. Uh-uh. So, yeah. So, trust your gut, and if something doesn't feel right, get the hell out of there. Yes. And if you want to hear how someone got the hell out of a cult in real life. Mm-hmm. Real life, y'all. Stick around. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared. Hi, everyone. I'm Debbie. And I'm Laura. And we host the podcast called I Got the Hell Out. Are you fascinated by cults? Of course you are. Well, I spent 10 years in one, and each week I spill all the juicy details. Some are funny, and some are downright frightening. And trust me, you want to hear these stories. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Overcast. So give us a listen right here on I Got the Hell Out. We'll see you there.